world cannot abide innocent suffering. It unnerves us, to put it mildly. Some of this is compassion, but much of it is fear and selfishness. Our unconscious thought is something like this. We feel like if tragedy really is indiscriminate, then the world is a horribly unsafe place. If my careful preparations, my hard work, my risk assessments, my health and safety policies, my due diligence, my fitness regimes, my good diet and general moral rectitude, if that cannot protect me from suffering, then, dear me, I I might have to face this world depending only on the Lord who gives and takes away. In other words, my life may well be out of my hands, and that is an unbearable prospect for natural humanity. We hate to think that we are so weak, so vulnerable, and so dependent. So when our friend is sick, yes, we feel a twinge of empathy for a bit. But if they persist in being ill, we don't like it. We don't like it one little bit. And it's amazing how quickly initial compassion turns to advice, and advice turns to fixing. And if they still won't be fixed, we turn to criticism and judgment. So we say, oh, poor you. You know, I once had something similar to you. You need to try goji berries. They're a superfood, don't you know? Or we start saying things like, oh yeah, I, uh, when I had that, I did X, and then my life has never been the same. You should try X. Or we talk about, you know, I read an article saying that your problem is caused by Y. You should cut out Y. Or we say, I hate to say it, friend, but, but I saw this coming. You should have been more Z. You know, we assume that life works according to laws. If you keep the laws, then life goes well. If you break the laws, then you pay the price. But it's easy for the advice givers to say this because their happy circumstances prove what they want to believe, that their life is in their hands and their good works will save them. Job had to endure such miserable comforters. In fact, he coined the phrase miserable comforters. It's from Job chapter 16, verse 2. And for the best part of four millennia, sufferers everywhere have been afflicted by those who claim to be helping. Yesterday we saw the sufferings of Job. He loses his sons and daughters, his livestock and his servants on a single day. His family and his wealth are devastated. Then in Job chapter 2, he loses his health as well. Job 2 from verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. When Job's friends hear about this, they do the right thing. Job 2 from verse 11, When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Tamanite, Bildite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Job's friends come with sympathy. They sit with him, and they are silent. And in the entire book, this is the best thing they ever do. For a whole week, they bite their tongues. It's when they open their mouths that the trouble starts. First, we hear from Eliphaz, the Tamanite. Here's a snapshot of his philosophy from verse 7, chapter 4, verse 7. Consider now who being innocent has ever perished. Where were the upright ever destroyed? Eliphaz has no category for righteous suffering. Therefore, Job's suffering must mean unrighteousness, right? And Eliphaz doesn't mind pointing that out. 
Well, then Job takes a couple of chapters to respond, and he keeps on saying, look, I really am innocent, but I really am suffering. But Bildad has uh, enough of Job's defense in chapter 8 from verse 2. This is what he says. How long will you say such things, Job? Your words are a blustering wind. Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? When your children sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. But... If you will seek God earnestly and plead with the Almighty, if you are pure and upright, even now he will rouse himself on your behalf and restore you to your prosperous state. Your beginnings will seem humble. So prosperous will your future be. So here's what Bildad is saying. Your children had it coming to them. And if you were truly upright, you would never suffer like this, Job. Ah, but never mind. If you turn things around, then prosperity will come your way. Oh my goodness, poor Job, right? I mean, with friends like these, who needs enemies, right? Well, in Job chapter 9 and chapter 10, Job continues to insist, look, this really is suffering, but I really am innocent. Job continually stresses both things. He says, no, I don't deserve it, but yes, it is terrible. But you know, our human nature cannot hold those two things together. And so Zophar comes and speaks up for all the miserable comforters everywhere. And in Job chapter 11, verse 13, he says, Look, life is dreadful for you now. Yet, if you devote your heart to God and stretch out your hands to him, if you put away the sin that is in your hand, Job, and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, then free of fault you will lift up your face and you will stand firm without fear. Be more devoted, Job. That's the advice. Then things will turn out all right. Well, what can be said to this? Well, sometimes withering sarcasm is often the best response. And so Job chapter 12, verse 2, I love this. Job says, oh, doubtless you are the people and wisdom will die with you. I love that. I love that withering sarcasm. It's a wonderful repast. But the advice from these friends is really no laughing matter. It is a torment to Job. In chapter 19, verse 2, he says, How long will you torment me and crush me with words? You see, this is where all comfort ends if the comforters do not know the grace of God. If friends do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, if they do not know the innocent sufferer, then at the heart of their thoughts they will end up tormenting sufferers because they will not be able to understand how suffering can be righteous, how it can be innocent. And therefore, they will only lay extra laws on those who are already burdened. But thankfully, Job had another friend, not these friends. And he he speaks of that other friend in chapter 16. Let me read from verses 19 to 21 about this other friend. He says, Even now my witness is in heaven, says Job. My advocate is on high. My intercessor is my friend as my eyes pour out tears to God. On behalf of a man, he pleads with God as one pleads for a friend. No one on earth seems to believe in innocent suffering, but Job knows one who is in heaven who certainly does. This friend in high places would suffer innocently for the sins of the whole world. And he is Job's witness, advocate, intercessor, and friend. Meditate now on each of those roles. He is witness. He sees your suffering. He is advocate. He stands up for you when you have no strength to stand up for yourself. He is intercessor. He prays for you when you cannot find the words yourself. And he is friend. He sticks closer than a brother. This is Jesus, our witness, advocate, intercessor, and friend. In suffering, he is the one 
true comfort. And all our comfort to others must lead back to Him. Mm -hmm.